Hi everybody, Paul here. You know, I truly believe a gift that I have is to see generations and kind of what the blessing and the challenge are for those generations. And I particularly feel like my wife and I have a call to the millennial generation to say to them, hey, you know, what the boomers are saying about you calling you snowflakes and all of those things are not true. That actually, I think the millennial generation has a profound gift and heart that's going to change the world in ways the world's never been impacted by a generation before. And I actually think it's kind of part of our job, my wife and I, to affirm that in the generation. And so I love, as I'm looking for what God is doing and what's happening in the church in this next generation, I love to sit down and talk with millennials and say, what are you seeing? Because me as an Xer, I can't tell them what the church is going to be in the next generation. I can tell a sense that I have. I can affirm it. I can follow. I can walk with a generation. But I want to hear from millennials what they're seeing in the future. And I recently ran into two amazing women, their sisters, and Steph and Katerina. And I said, hey, I would love to record a conversation with you guys about the journey you've been on in your faith in your life. And maybe touch on a little bit of what's going to be happening in church in the next season, but just to get an understanding of what millennials have been walking through as they've lived and grown up in the boomer-led evangelical church. I think you're going to find this to be a refreshing, fun, inviting conversation. These are two women that are still involved in evangelical churches. They're They're critical of it, but they're not cursing it. So I'd love for you to listen. Also, just love your prayer and help and support right now because we're growing some things and being able to reach a younger audience. Um, I'm Old Pastor Paul on TikTok, and good things are happening there. I'm growing and blowing up exponentially. Um, up to just had a video go viral, and, and over 440,000 people have viewed that video. And we just feel like there's an opportunity to grow in TikTok and YouTube and reach a younger audience. And so I need some help in growing that. And so one of the ways you can help is subscribe to my YouTube channel, to my TikTok. It's the Nonpartisan Evangelical on YouTube, Old Pastor Paul on TikTok. All of those subscriptions and likes and comments, they all help things moving forward. I also need some financial help if you can. We have a Patreon page. It's $5.99 a month to join at the lowest level, $12.99 for a little bit higher level. Um, But we need to to start to call together a little bit more money so I can get some some help in just building and and envisioning and strategizing where we're going so we can build on the moment. So if you can join, there's some really cool stuff. You get to be a part of our NPE private Facebook group um, and you get uh, to get the audiobook series on there. So I would love for you to be a part of it. Go to NPPodcast.com, our website, click on that Patreon button and you can join. Now to my conversation with a couple of amazing millennial women Steph and Katerina, they'll tell you more about themselves here on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush-for-brains evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump? It's a special kind of dumb and calling yourself a Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. And hi, everyone. Paul Swearingen here from the Nonpartisan Evangelical. Glad you're with us today for this week's podcast. And uh, we have some interesting guests, as always, and guests that are talking topics that uh, are important in the evangelical world when we talk religion 
and politics, the two topics you're never supposed to talk in polite company. But we do have polite company today. And interestingly, a pair of sisters, Stephanie McDade is with us. She's a writer in uh, lives in Atlanta. And Katerina Newsham is, is a missionary and is in the fundraising time of getting ready to do her mission and, and lives in eastern Texas. Where at in eastern Texas? I'm in Longview, same place as Letourneau University, if anyone's familiar with it. Okay. And a newlywed, right? I am. Two months married. Very nice. Congratulations. I appreciate you guys joining us. And here's the premise of what we're talking about today. I like to talk about what's happening in the evangelical church, where it's going, and particularly what does the next season and next phase of it look like. And, and a big part of that is going to be how the millennials view the evangelical church and even the Christian church in general as we move forward, because millennials are now moving into those leadership positions and soon will be taking it on altogether. Yet statistically, we're showing that millennials are saying no thanks to the church at a very high rate last survey I saw had something like 19% of millennials were saying we are regular church attenders in the United States. That is a very low percentage. So my question is why? And, uh, and why are we should be looking for something new that's still going to be attractive to that generation or what's going to happen? So you guys both have a background in the church. And so let's just start there. What is your history with the church and how has that impacted your spirituality and your Christian outlook as you've gone forward? And Steph, you're the elder of the two. So why don't we start with you? Yes. Age before beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So I'll give a little background of our, uh, by the way, thanks for having us. This is really awesome to, I don't know if I've told you this, but it's rare that people of your generation are interested in hearing what people of our generation have to say, especially on this topic. So honestly, very sadly true. And that's very encouraging to me. That's what (laughs) That's what I want to bridge. And usually we just have bad things to say about you guys rather than wanting to hear it. Hey, we don't have that positive things to say about uh, older generations too. We can be pretty mean about that. True, true, true. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. So our background is unique because we, how Paul talks about how he has a perfect Jewish pedigree kind of, I would say that Katya and I grew up with the perfect Christian evangelical pedigree as far as everything goes all the tick all the boxes we just we tick them all and my parents were missionaries when we were young so Katya was actually born in Venezuela and that's where they spent a few years as missionaries and um, then my dad was also a pastor our dad was a pastor of a inner city church in Miami for a time and so we were third culture kids both of those times because we it was really non-white majority culture there. So that was, we really didn't encounter white majority culture until uh, at least I was in middle school when we moved to Washington state and we're actually Canadian by birth. We were both from Canada. So it's interesting to be talking about American politics, but we've lived most of our lives in the lives in the States, but it does give an interesting perspective, I think on top of that. But yeah, so we were, we were leaders in the church, both of us, worship leaders, small group leaders, any kind of leadership you can, you remember from church is we were probably one of them. And I think that gave us an interesting perspective, just seeing, I think we saw the ugly, the the good, the bad, and the ugly of church culture and moving. We lived in Florida. We lived in Washington. We lived in California. So we got a little bit of a different blend of in Canada. You've seen it all now. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like it. And now I'm in Atlanta back to the true South. Florida doesn't really count as the South, (laughs) but yeah. So I think that just gives a little bit of a background of where we come from and Kat, you might want to, maybe you can fill in some of the gaps there. I think you did a pretty good job. Yeah. I think the perspective we can't offer is that of growing up in one single place, our whole lives and seeing the life of a church over that whole span. We've done a lot of being in a lot of different churches, mostly within the Christian Missionary Alliance, but also a little bit of non-denominational and other denomination affiliation. Yeah. I also went to a small private Christian university with the CMA. So 
I went to a public university, so it was quite Heathen. different. <laughs> also one of the most liberal uc davis in california oh, wow. so, okay yes. uh, that had to be a little bit of a different experience for you although again you've been all over the place so it's different but how did going to a a liberal and and what some of my evangelical friends would say evil california school oh, yeah. what, what impact did that have on you mm-hmm. so i think I was better prepared than some perhaps with a Christian background because our parents had us in public school most of our lives. So we would already, we would, and they were very good actually about having conversations with us about different topics, whether it be sexuality or sometimes political stuff in other arenas as well. Our parents were pretty good at about asking us what we were learning and engaging with the topics we were learning in public school and the questions our friends had and stuff. So I felt really well prepared, actually, for public university. Yeah, it wasn't too scary. (laughs) So how did that upbringing shape your spirituality? Katarina, we'll stay with you. And what does it look like today? Is it different today as you've moved into being an adult, now being married? Does it look different for you today and, and what the future looks like for you? Steph and I were telling you earlier, we both had very different dynamics in the family. She was more of the come against the authority and question what they were saying and just question everything really. And I was much more of the deferential to authority. I obey authority. And the only time I don't obey authority is if it goes against what God says, like very much that way. I think we were both blessed with a father that, and our mom too, but our dad was very teaching oriented. So a lot of what I remember is what my dad explicitly taught us growing up. He taught us critical thinking. That was a big one. So it definitely probably made it less fun when Stephanie was in her argue back phases growing up (laughs) that she did that. But our father always taught us that the Bible was the ultimate authority and that if he even ever taught us something that differed from scripture, that we should disobey him. And I think we were also blessed with a dad with, unfortunately, I don't know that everyone has this, but um, a man full of integrity. And so he would apologize to us when he wronged us. I think that's very counter how the world does things where, you know, if they're the person in authority, they don't have to apologize for anything. But we had a dad who would hold himself to extremely high standards and then the same standards he held us to and higher. And he would apologize if he didn't follow those. I think that also impacted our upbringing quite a bit and our willingness to still honor authority, even when we disagreed with it, but also to know that authority should be held accountable. So... Very good. And, and Stephanie, how did that rebellious period look for you in that? And how did that play into your spirituality and what it looks like today? Yeah, it's funny because to call me rebellious is it would only be by the most uber conservative evangelical <laughs> standards that I could be called rebellious. He never did anything that crazy, honestly. I never snuck out. I never, you know, did went to parties. I never did any of the worldly rebellion but it's funny that Kati mentions our dad and, and his authority, his more authority driven. He, he really was the spiritual leader. He took it very seriously that he was the spiritual leader of the home. And uh, I think it's, I, I actually joke with him today that I'm like, it's kind of your fault that I am the way that I am. <laughs> you made me this way. Be up to think for myself. And are you surprised? <laughs> are you surprised that I am the way that I am and that I've tr- changed in mm. so many of my opinions politically and religiously? I don't think you should be surprised. Yeah. And that does is basically my story is I think I, it was just a, a process for me. Childhood. I really, from a young age, just absolutely loved the scriptures. I loved God. I loved Jesus. I, I loved everything. I was, I was, my dad, the time that my, when my dad was pastor, I was in the front seat taking notes. I've kept a journal since I was eight and was just with rapt attention. Everything I could learn about God or Christianity, I just soaked up from a very young age. And then middle school and high school, I got interested in apologetics. I started arguing back to my teachers in high school. <laughs> Let me stop you real quick. I do have some non-churchy people that listen to this. So explain what apologetics are. Yes, of course. So apologetics is defending the faith. So really just any form of that, whether it's to sec- the secular culture, defending Christianity in the secular sphere, or whether it's equipping Christians to defend their faith anywhere. And so I was really, I loved Ravi Zacharias. I loved, I was anything that was to be passionate about anything that I heard or picked up anywhere that was like, this is something that's important for the faith. I gravitated towards. 
And uh, I think this is important to point out for people listening that, that when you're in this church world, you really do see the world in these two prisms. And mm -hmm. this word secular is a really big word. Mm -hmm. That means anything you're either of the church or you're not of the church. And that includes music, that includes yeah. education. So there's all these two worlds always paralleling, intersecting mm -hmm. a little bit, but that church world always a little bit better. Absolutely. I, I remember I was eight years old. I still have the journal to prove it, but I was like nine maybe when I wrote this entry, but it was like, I started writing a book, a guide for Christian girls, how to deal with questions. Like, why are you a Christian? That's dumb. It was very nine-year-old level, but it was like, I was felt so strongly. It's so important that we can answer for our faith. Yeah. Very Fantastic. Much. That divide was very clear our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And then college, I had an awakening. I, I would say a spiritual awakening where I really understood the, how God was at work in, in here and now through the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Whereas before, I think I'd been more God and Jesus oriented, like God in heaven, who's distant and far away and probably frowning, <laughs> mostly disappointed. And then Jesus, who's inside of us, invite Jesus into your heart. And, but it was like what Jesus did long ago that was more to the forefront. The gospel was Jesus died on the cross for our sins and not necessarily how does that affect us today. So I think in college is when I really started to seek out the nuances of my faith. And I, I think I made my faith my own for sure in high school, but I really complex, there was a lot more complexity and nuance in my faith in college. And that set me up for post-college where, which is its own journey to where I am in adulthood today. And yeah, I think over that whole, I'm, if I were, if you were to tell my early high school self where I am now, I would just not know what to do with it because there's just so much maturity that I think happened through various phases of my faith um, and life experiences. I definitely want to explore that a little bit more, but so it sounds like both of your while some millennials have come through in this category, we now call duns, these people who maybe grew up in church or were long timers in church. And now have said, I'm not going back. Hmm. That isn't your experience either way. You both are still involved in churches at this mm -hmm. phase in life, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very much involved. And, and so it was basically a pleasant experience, Katarina, for you growing up in the church. Interesting. You should ask if, about pleasant or not pleasant. Stephanie could probably attest to this. I grew up with more of a martyr complex in the sense of my life wasn't about what was fun for me anyways. I started following Jesus also at a young age and the Holy Spirit was very real to me in prayer. So I would go for walks and talk to Jesus and talk to the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the Father about, he was my friend because no matter where I moved, because she talked about how we moved a lot of places, God knew me and he understood me, even though other people didn't. I would say that I was satisfied in that relationship. So then when I was weird and not understood in the new context or even in church, I was pretty comfortable with where I was. If anything, I was more mature in my faith so that I didn't really fit in with my peers. And I always found myself leading the discussion in, in my junior high school groups because the other kids didn't seem to really want to engage on that level, but God had been at work in me and answering my prayers to give me wisdom and grow me in the faith so that I didn't feel like I fit in that just being ministered to spot anymore. So I started serving at a young age in the nursery and stuff like that to, because I was convicted of that. So I guess I just early on was in a mindset. And I think this comes also with having parents um, involved in the ministry, a mindset of service. So I wasn't really thinking about what church got me or how happy the church made me, but I was very much oriented towards how I could serve. And then our parents had dealt with painful church experiences um, and they were really strong on the side of you're going to encounter broken people in the church because the church is made of broken people. I expected people to fail me. I expected people to wrong me even in the church. I didn't expect them to be perfect. So I don't know if that answers your question, would, but yeah, it was relatively pleasant. Would <laughs> you recommend place. that mindset for young people growing up today? I think it's not as much a, a matter of if I could recommend it, but I think it's where you're at in your faith. There are just certain stages where you do, you want to be loved and cared for. And so if that's not being met through the body of Christ, you're going to look other places for that. And I think that's one thing when we get into issues like LGBTQIA community, it's a very warm, accepting, you can be whoever you want to be community and when they look at the church, they don't see that. They don't see that they can be themselves. They see, oh, oh, you want me to pretend to be really good at, at this and that, and I have to hide all my issues or whatever 
I have to hide who I am or something instead of just being a place where people can come and meet Jesus. And the church is much more than that too, but I don't know if that helps. Uh, yeah. did, so Steph, did you feel like you guys had this sort of international background and certainly a mobile one where you've seen a whole lot of different cultures and did some of that bring a, a little bit of a, a disconnect? I don't know if disconnect's the right word, but you, you saw the world differently already than evangelicals that some tend to have a very narrow focus of the world. Yeah, I definitely think that's a big part of it, that we moved around and we saw very different subcultures. And we were homeschooled actually for a time in Miami. And so our friends were our in our neighborhood and they didn't look like us. And even that being such a formative time in our childhood, the fact that my earliest memories are not around white people, even just that, like all of my earliest memories are around people who don't look like me. And so I think that definitely shapes it. And it gives the sense of there's always more to the story. There's always a bigger context. So, and then on top of that, my personality, I think Katya already sort of mentioned how her personality shaped her perspective of growing up in the same household. Mm -hmm. I was always very sensitive to inconsistencies Mm -hmm. that I saw in our environment, in the messaging that I was being given. I just, I've always felt like that instinct to be a doctor to the church I always had a more critical lens where I could just see Mm -hmm. and feel intuitively when things just weren't right, something Mm -hmm. was off and it was not just off in general. It was off from a leadership perspective. It was, there was something that the people in leadership were not seeing. And I felt very aware of that from very young age. And Mm -hmm. I questioned things just constantly. I was constantly questioning. And even I remember I was in like second, no, I guess we were moving from Miami to walk to, Washington. So I was probably about 11 and they put me in with the the children's group. And I just remember thinking, this is so stupid. Why are they putting me in with the kids? Like I would rather be in with the high schoolers. Like they shouldn't just separate people based on age, let people engage at whatever level they want to. So even at that age, I'm just thinking that way. And I also remember reading in this, I remember being very young with some of my early, like probably, I don't know, or is when I was right, reading the Bible for the first time, I remember coming across passages in the scriptures because I felt very strong that I needed to read them, of course, because of my environment. But I came across passages that I just shocked me and confused me. And I would write my Bible, even though my dad, it was like, honor the word, don't set a book on top of the Bible kind of level. You honor the scriptures. Yeah. I would there just like little surprised faces on things that shocked me. <laughs> like little emojis before emojis were a thing. I would literally just <laughs> draw emojis the emoji. <laughs> all over my Bible. And I remember a, a specific passage where it talked about women. If you have any questions, you need to go home and ask your husband. Don't ask them in church. And that I still very clear memory reading it. And this, my stomach just dropped. I felt it in the pit. I was just something felt off about it. And I was just like, what does this mean? Why would that, why would this be in the Bible? Because I had this implicit trust of the Bible at at that point and of Christianity and of God and, and my dad who represented all those things. And I just, so at a very early age, I felt like there was, I was like, man, but I could answer this. Like, I want to be able to, yes, I could ask my dad, but I don't have a husband because so I could ask my dad, but I, why can't I know this for myself? Why can't I answer this for someone else who asked me this question or asked me a question or something? So again, from a very young age, that sort of just sensitivity, like my radars, my antenna were just constantly seeking out where there was hypocrisy or inconsistency and a break in the pattern and pushing into why is that there? What needs to change to make this consistent, intuitively feel right. So, And, anyway. and how did that play for you? Because uh, I, I have a similar personality. I, I always say I'm the, I'm the little boy in the emperor's new clothes myth saying, hey, the emperor's naked. What's the deal? Here? <laughs> and once in Sunday school, our teacher was talking about Jesus said marriages between one man and one woman. And as a very young kid, I said, David had multiple, he had a whole bunch of wives. And I got they sent a message to my dad, who was the pastor of the church about that one. Oh, and, <laughs> so how did that play for you, Steph, to be questioning some of these important precepts, uh, perhaps, of the church? 
It didn't always go, I'll say that. <laughs> Sometimes it went okay, but a lot of the time, it, and it did actually, put, over the years, it did put more tension between me and my dad because that was a very, especially the women and leader, the women in the church issue was a, mm-hmm. was a real difficult issue and still is. I won't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying anything that I wouldn't say in front of him. We mm-hmm. both have this open communication about this. This is a difficult, yeah. has been a diff- difficult thing in our relationship because he holds to a very conservative, mm-hmm. not very ultra, but a conservative yeah. complementary perspective. It's kind of funny because he raised very strong women. But he he raised very strong women and he always taught us that we're equal to men and everything. But his understanding of the scripture was just that you can be equal to, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have specific roles that he wants you in. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of something. And also he feels strongly about that kind of thing because he's big on business as mission and the fact you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to serve God. So he's very much about empowering all Christians and the laity and everywhere to just be on fire for the Lord and serve him in whatever sphere they're in. So to him, it wasn't really a clash of values to say that women would only be in certain roles. Yeah. It wasn't personal for him either. Yeah. Yeah, It didn't affect him the same way it would affect us. Yeah. We've always used a lot of good language in the church for that. What I would call suppression of women. Oh, they're fine China. They're more valuable than, and in the end it's no, you're really saying, they're not quite the leaders that the rest that, that us guys are. And so it, it sounds like you guys have had some evolving. I don't know if, if evolution is the best word, but some evolving of your beliefs from that. And so where are you, Katya, in that now in your life? How, how does your belief system and your view of God in that, that relationship look like compared to what it was for you growing up? Gosh, I think... I, I caught you with that question. Huh? I, well... It's a great question. I think that I am still learning a lot. I didn't go to Bible school. And unlike Stephanie, I read the scripture more because I was I understood that it was important, not because I had a thirst for studying scripture. I'm still growing in that area of my life, honestly. There have been wonderful sweet times where I love scripture and I'm like, yes, more of this. This is man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I'll be all up in it. And then there are other times where I'm just like, I know I need to read this because this is food for my soul, but there are other things that I could be doing that I need. I feel this urgency to get done. So anyway, that is to say, I tried to take a lot of opportunities to be involved with Bible studies, basically my whole life. And I would say there have been different stepping stones, different changes, different groups I've encountered that have broadened my understanding of, of what it means to be a believer that God has used to disciple me really and, and grow me in different ways. For example, one would be University Christian Fellowship. I was involved with them in all four years of university and none of you have heard of them. You should probably check them out. They're pretty neat. They've been caught in the crossfire of the world and American Christianity where they're holding to Orthodox orthodoxy on the word of God and some even contentious issues that the world thought they were going to go towards, like, for example, LGBTQ embracing that lifestyle is like all well and good for a believer, but they're bridged in this difficult bridging spot where they're not going to be held to otherizing of LGBTQ people, but they're also not going to embrace it as the ideal that the Lord has set out for how a person should live. So they're in a really hard place because they get both sides coming at them and they're trying to hold that tension. So I encountered that in college and that was huge for me. I think meeting more people from different backgrounds than just the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I think God really taught me more about community and the importance of not just being a Christian isolated that follows him, but being part of a community of faith and being the body of Christ and just learning, really enriching my knowledge of that. Like I said, I really feel like God gifted me in wisdom growing up. And you can ask Steffi, I was an old soul and uh, did not act like my peers growing up. And then I got to college and I felt like God actually for a season took away my gift of wisdom and I actually had to start going to my peers for the first time for advice on stuff. And I feel like that was a huge humbling process for me because I was aware that I didn't do anything wrong by the church's standards, but I believed scripture that I was a sinner and I needed Christ. 
So I was always like, hey, Lord, humble me, teach me because I'm having a real hard time with this. And sure enough, he would keep doing that. But that was one season where he humbled me. And I, I really had to learn to lean on my brothers and sisters for discernment instead of just between me and Jesus. So I don't know if that I'm just I'm still in my journey, Paul. There are things like yeah. uh, even women in leadership that I'm still I'm really holding that intention. I'm partly I'm involved with a denomination right now where the denomination lets the churches choose whether women can be ordained or not. So the evangelical Presbyterian church. So I'm in that place right now where I'm like, I'm not totally sure about this. Like (laughs) I'm figuring this out. Uh, And so, yeah, I just try to maintain that even in areas I feel more sure about what orthodoxy is to just be like, Hey Lord, if I'm wrong, I need you to show me, please help me to have grace for those that have different views from me. But then also trying to not be a pushover and realizing truth, following truth hurts and, and doesn't hurt. Sorry. How do I say this? If you let go of truth, you lose things and you hurt people. And there's an importance to still holding on to true things and not just saying everything's okay. So that's hard to really, it's really hard to walk that. Good. And I'm 55 and I'm still on that journey. Too. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how smart I was at 30. Yeah, that I'm, <laughs> And how dumb I am It's now. a good age to think of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 30 but, right now. I was going to so. say, isn't Stephanie 30 right now? Yeah, yeah exactly. Three so years you're at that know everything so. age. This is awesome. <laughs>
sometimes it's deconstruction, but there's no reconstruction after the fact. And that's what I think is a fail. I Not a failed, oh, that's shameful, but like, it's not a full process. I think deconstruction mm-hmm. is important. I actually genuinely think we need to go through a point in our faith where we deconstruct some things that have been constructed poorly, mm-hmm. because a lot of us have learned things that are not built on, they're built on sand. They're not really built on a true foundation. Right. Cultural so, Christianity instead of biblical yeah. Christianity. Yeah. So I think we definitely have to go. Tell me that. real quick. What does that look like? What's cultural Christianity? Ah, cultural Christianity. Uh, I, I, go ahead. Steph. Go for it. I was going to say, I think it's syncretism, really. It's taking the values of the world around you and bleeding it in with biblical truth and biblical values so that you end up with something that's actually not Christianity, but it's uh, a bastardized version that doesn't have Christ (laughs) at the foundation that really doesn't like it might have independence as your grounding for autonomy as your grounding for human value instead of Christ. So it's any, go ahead, Steffi, you have an, I was, that's one way to define it. I'm more thinking on terms of just more of individualist level, an individual level. And I just think it's, I just think it's not having, not feeling like you are certain that what you, that Christ is real, that he is the Lord, that it's just a very basic level of unbelief. It's just a, you don't, because I feel like no matter what, if you really truly believe that Christ is real and he is who he says he is, there are so much that could happen and you would be able to keep your faith. You can be in the worst of cultures and the worst of times and the worst of seasons, but you come out of it stronger in your faith. So I don't know if, if there's even a formula for it. It's just something that doesn't, that's cultural Christianity is just something that exists. It's not, a, it's not at a heart level. It's not at a truly experiential level. And that's another thing I want to say for our generation is I think we're seeing because it's not being, it's not so much the majority culture, right? Anymore, like it used to be. To be a Christian is not just a, an easy, comfortable thing in general. I, I, I don't buy into the whole we're persecuted thing because that's a slap in the face to Christian, Christians who are actually persecuted across the globe. But I just think it's something that you haven't appropriated truly in your own experience and you haven't bought into it all the way. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, that's just yeah, something yeah. you haven't really mm-hmm. thrown your whole body weight into. Yeah. I guess in my definition, I'm focusing on what people have bought into instead of. So it's the things that they've chosen instead of Jesus that they still lean on more than Jesus, but they want to add Jesus into it. I just think if they had the real Jesus, they wouldn't seek to lean right. on anything else. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack in that. Let me jump in yeah, real quick. And uh, I think so isn't going through a period of questioning Jesus and the Bible and even the existence of God, aren't those natural parts of our human process that are, I don't know, in some ways, I think it's important. So tell me what you're saying there as, as some may be struggling with their, even hanging on to their Christian faith as they go through those college into young adult years. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely went through a time. I, I went through a very dark valley where I questioned everything I'd been raised to believe, every single thing. I really, truly faced the p- prospect of a world and a life without God. Mm-hmm. And it was a dark place, but I think it was so, I, I, there's no replacement for what it's done for my faith. The, the gut level experience that I had with God in the midst of that was is it to me it's just irreplaceable i would never go back it completely changed my faith from before to after and yeah i just want i would encourage anyone who's going through that 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 deconstruction is great it's good it's important but there has to be a reconstruction Mm -hmm. there has to be a reconstruction after the fact otherwise it's just deconstruction Uh, there's nothing new in its place I think part of that is going to have to be the church to make room for those journeys. I think we've not done that well, that when somebody says, I'm questioning my faith, we just panic and say, okay, read your Bible and go pray and you'll get over it. And and so maybe we don't react well. And particularly maybe with this sort of political Christianity, where you've got to be on one side of the political thought 
you're out. So there, there's almost this all in or all out thing. And, and it feels to me like there's a lot of millennials that are saying, if that's the case, then I'm out. Yeah. And if we would give room for that journey, maybe we wouldn't have so many duns, perhaps. What do you guys think? Kat, you want to go? I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot there. I think that God knows his children and God will bring people back to him. And I think that for some millennials, that's going to be after a year of or so of wrestling with their deepest convictions and stuff. And for others, that could be they'd come back to the Lord when they're 50 or 60. Or I think my grandfather said something. He was a big prayer warrior at Pop-Up Warden. Would He prayed so hard for revival up until the day he died a couple years ago. And he was lamenting that our culture is becoming so godless and lawless and, and just how people disrespect their parents and society falling apart. And I'm like, pop up. I, it is really sad to me that in some ways society does seem like it's going downhill. But one thing I'm really grateful for is it's letting the church actually be the church. And it's separate. It's, I think we're really seeing a winnowing. I think we're seeing some people that are falling away. And I think some of them will stay away from the church because they don't want Jesus. They don't. And then you will see some that do want Jesus, but they don't want the fake Jesus that they've encountered in their church. And I think they will come back to the Lord. And I think that the church, as those people fall out, those who are really seeking the Lord are going to come back in. And I, I think they're, your concern is coming from a place, I think, of making sure we make a place for people to really go through that process and we love them well through that process. And I think that's great. And I think that what I said to my pop-up was like, it is sad, but pop-up, God is at work and the church isn't going to be overcome. Like the gates of Hades won't prevail against the church of the living God. And so that's something I come back to when I see that so many friends of mine that walked away from the Lord, even with university. The year I, after I graduated was the year that they put forth their really thoughtful stance on the LGBTQ stuff. And they had people in leadership that had to walk away from university because they couldn't align with it. And there's been aftermath of that, of a lot of struggle of how do we walk this, like holding what we believe to be orthodox teaching, but not in a way that pushes people away, but makes them have a chance to come near to God and near to Christ and hear him instead of hearing this facade. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. Steph, did you want to add to that? Um, and talking about this all in or all out premise, maybe making room for people on that journey. Yeah, I, I think, I definitely think there's, and I think that's why people do feel like they have to choose out of church because there has been this sense that the church is where we set aside our doubts to focus on what we know to be true, even if we don't feel it. And I think that actually goes to something bigger that I feel there's just so many cultural things here at play, right? That fact over feeling this quote, fact over feeling, it's just, there's such a modernism that's still pervading into the church that mm -hmm. it's really not reckoning that we're whole people that we can't separate fact from fiction or fact from feeling, sorry, yeah. that feelings are just as much a part of us as our thoughts and thoughts are as easily corruptible as our feelings. Mm. Truth. See, now this is, is a very millennial thing you're saying now. No, yeah, no. but Boomers it's true. Boomers would be I mean, telling you right now, no, feelings <laughs> cannot. It's, it's just fact. It's just Bible. Yeah. It's just truth. Well, and if think about what we're dealing with right now politically, it is not for want of facts that we are facing the kind of division that we are facing. It is not yeah. for a lack of facts. There are so many facts at our fingertips. That's not the problem. The problem is that we can't agree on which facts are more important. Mm -hmm. And even more so, we are disembodying truth. We talk about truth as if it's this disembodied entity when it's Christ. Mm -hmm. If we actually talk about Christ and what he represented, he put flesh on truth. Mm -hmm. And anytime we start to try to take off the take the embodiment away from truth, we're literally strip stripping the flesh off of Christ. And it's just so sad to me because if people, I might slightly disagree with Katya. I feel like if people met Jesus, truly met him, they would love him. I don't, I think there are very few, if any, who would actually turn away from the true Jesus if they were to truly encounter him mm -hmm. because he is just, 
he's so compelling. And, and you look at his life. Yes, there were those who stood in opposition to him, mm-hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't those who were actually really near and dear to him. If they followed him, if they actually spent time with him, they were won over by who he was. And if and, and that's very millennial of me. I want to counter argue because there was Judas and he did spend a lot of time with Jesus and he definitely went the other way. But, but uh, he was, what do you call it from the beginning? He was um, predestined. Yeah, he was. He, was, he fulfilled he, a, That yeah. brings in a whole other thing. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. I but, just think of... Sorry, I was just say, you're you saying Judas way? is a special case there, but no, I love this. Keep going. I no, no, this. I was going to, so I was going to argue back in the sense of, so first of all, let me couch this in saying, I pray, I've prayed since I was little, I bargained with God about, Lord, will you save two thirds of the world at least three quarters? <laughs> like I would like change the fractions a little bit and like Abraham, when he was bargaining for, was it Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah or, yeah. yeah. Like I totally did that and I've continued to do that with the Lord. And I would, I go between Lord, would you just destroy us all because we suck (laughs) and like really harsh, like justice all the way to really like, please can everyone, even Hitler, like, Lord, if he really knew you, could you just, everyone can everyone go to heaven. So I'm not saying that I'm coming from this place of too bad. We're going to lose a bunch of people. I, my heart is in this, but we see, we do see in scripture that, that after Jesus talked about them eating his flesh and drinking his blood, many turned away from him and they'd seen a miracle by him and they came to see more miracles. But he said, I'm not just here to give you food to eat. I'm not just here to fill your belly. I'm here to give you life eternal. And they didn't want a part of that. And he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to stop following me too? And Peter said, where else will we go? Yeah, you, what does he say? You hold the key. You alone have the words of life. You alone have the words of life. Like where else would he go? Who else would he follow? Basically. I mean, that's what I come back to when I haven't had the same like long journey Stephanie had where I had a longer dark period, but I had some incidents happen that really made me question deeply. And I turned back to, yeah, what would the world look like without God? And I had Peter's answer without Jesus. This crap is dark. There is no hope without Jesus, but Jesus is that hope. And I'm with that. Let's present Christ as an embodied Christ. And I think that's something that our generation wants more of is the community of God lived out. Um, Let let me jump into your argument a little bit. And just, (laughs) it feels to me, a lot of times people aren't walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from the church. They're walking away from the, the people that they've seen and the representation of what Mm-hmm. a Christian life looks like sometimes. And then out of that, again, when we have this all in all out mentality, mm-hmm. they're saying, well, if I'm not going to be a part of the church anymore, I might as well explore all kinds of different things mm-hmm. and, and go out there and explore. And honestly, I would say some of that I found some people that have been on that journey have found God in ways that I never imagined they could find God. And many of them, from my perspective, I know people that say they would claim to not be a Christian. They would claim to be agnostic or some other version of that mm. done, but they found God and they've captured. I, so here's my churchy language. They've captured something of the kingdom of heaven that they're walking out on earth in a way that I'm, I like those people better than my church friends sometimes. Mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so I, I think maybe there is a little bit of a, a tension and a dichotomy here that Some people aren't walking away from faith necessarily, but they're walking away from a Christianity as a religious perspective and searching out maybe what a different life looks like. Would you guys agree or totally disagree that there there may be some of those out there? Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I I think a couple of verses came to mind of that there will be people that will cause the way of God to be blasphemed. So we know that there are people that do represent Christ horribly. And I think that's part of what I was saying with my grandfather's pop-up. It is sad that our general cultural seems to be walking away from the Lord, but I think what it does is it sucks people out of the church. Like, I think there can be a dying of the old way of doing church that allowed you to make it a social club. And I, I'm gonna, I think we're going to see a resurgence of the true bride of Christ out of it. I don't know. That means all of the churches need to burn down first, but I think the millennials need to get back in the church and be part of building it up as we see in scripture. And as we feel led by the spirit to be that body of Christ. And I, yeah, Paul, I think there are people that are not quite going to a specific church that are seeking God, but I do think that scripture will call us ultimately into community again, that we're not meant to be lone rangers 
I don't think that's what scripture calls us to. That's awesome. And I'm looking at the clock going, oh my gosh, we're almost out of time already. We may have to come back and do this again. We have so many more things to talk about, but I do want to get a perspective from both of you. What do you think church will look like in 10, 15, 25 years? I I actually think this is the question for me that my wife, that, that God's really compelling us towards of what does Christianity and Christianity as a civic engagement mechanism even look like into the future. But what do you guys see church looking as your generation, as the boomers pass on and and really the millennials, the next large generation mm. begins to take on full on leadership and really development of what the church is going to look like in the next generation? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I think that's one I don't really have a great answer for in the sense that it's not something that I've come to a a landing place with. But I I do have some observations that I think where I think it might head hinting towards where it might go. And that's just from my years. I was a house church, Sam and my husband and I, Sam, we led a house church for a while underneath one of the, it was a big young church, Grace Midtown in Atlanta. And we led a house church for a couple, a couple of years, maybe, yeah, a few years, most of our dating and engaged and some of most, some of our married life. And um, I think what I learned there is that I do think it will be more like less structured, less in a building, but there's two answers. Cause I feel like it's going both directions. I see mm-hmm. some people who are leaving the non-denom fanfare, big production kind of churches and going more liturgical and they're going to Lutheran or Catholic or Anglican churches, Eastern Orthodox, and they're actually seeking more formality, more in not just formality, but I think something that feels more unchanging. And deeper intellectual traditions, I think. That too. also too. Yeah. More yeah. intellectual tradition and creeds and worship practices that have stayed the same more or less for centuries, because when you have so much change in this non-denominational you know area and you have fog machines one week and then you have you lasers. know lasers the next it's just so much <laughs> it's changing so much with the times to try to keep up with the latest whatever fad i think they're tra- craving that ancient they want something that feels ancient and, and original wow. and again more authentic there's a sense that it feels more authentic in that yeah. regard but then you also have Again, for the same reason, I would say authenticity, you have people going more local minded, more households. A lot of my friends have gone to some friends that I that used to go to Grace with us and then went to Anglican actually are now going to a a house church model. And it's amazing. They have breakfast together every Sunday morning and they sit around on couches in the living room and pray for each other. So I see that. And so I see both. But I, so I don't know what it's going to look like. All I know is that I think people are craving something that feels more authentic and it doesn't feel like forced community in a sense. It's more authentic in different ways and for different reasons, maybe. But it's, I think, the same at the same heart and the same drive. Katerina, what do you think? I don't know that I have a better answer than that. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what the church will look like in 20 years or so. I think there are a lot, there's a lot of hope and possibilities. I think there will be more embracing of authenticity, but we'll also have our own struggles. I don't think that our generation is going to finally be the ones to do church. Like, <laughs> I think we're going to have our own or this pendulum swings hither and thither. So I think we'll do some things better than the previous generation and we'll do some things worse. And I just, I hope and pray that because of what we've gone through in this generation, that there will be pressing in to the Lord and pressing into wanting to know Jesus, wanting to know this community that he meant us to be. And I hope that we will continue the trend towards wanting more, wanting to embrace the intellectual side of things. Cause I don't know if you ever read this book, but it's called total truth by Nancy Piercy. I'm not paid to say that, but I read that book <laughs> after college and it put a label on, put labels on tons of things that I had seen and experienced as a Christian going through public school and a lot of the controversies there. And one of the things is that our churches did, a lot of the churches stepped away from teaching the laity doctrine and how to understand the scriptures on a deeper level. And so I hope that we don't lose that. Even as we seek to be more experiential and supportive bodily, I hope that we 
connect that to the written word of God. That's what I'm a little bit concerned about losing because we are in that postmodern period where we want to let go of truth to embrace love kind of thing. And I think that we need, I, I pray that we'll be embracing both of those. So well, can I add one thing to that? Yeah, sure. Steph. I think that our previous generation may, and maybe Kati, cause she's an old soul, as she said, <laughs> they talk about speaking the truth in love. And I, I want to flip that around and say, I think our generation is trying to speak the love in truth. I think that's where we're at. So ponder that's, that. That's really good. I, and I almost feel like I should leave it there because you both just gave such great answers. But I do love that Katerina, before we came on, you said, hey, revival's coming. You, <laughs> you feel like something great is ahead. Well, I'm probably more leaning towards, I think the church is going to get overturned. And we'll, so I'm, I'm anxious to hear that. And, and you mentioned the word syncretism. So how, how does, what I hear from millennials is the church has been very exclusive non-accepting and and there is this full-on affirming and accepting version of the church that I'm hearing you're we shouldn't go there but how do we become better engaging of the LGBTQ IA plus community as I heard you mm-hmm. said which is a very liberal millennial term by the way and how do we become accepting without being syncretist as you were talking about mm-hmm. That's a big question to ask at the end. Yeah, guess, right. This is the end. I mean, do you have I another also hour? Gosh. The Pharisees think Jesus <laughs> was pretty much a syncretist too. Oh, they, oh well, the Pharisees thought a lot of things. We think a lot of things. I don't think that there's an easy answer to that. I think the like the the short version Come is Come on, give me Jesus. a sound bite. Come the on. short version is Jesus. The short version is am I spending time with the Lord? Um, and in his word and allowing him to transform my mind so that I'm not just falling back into the, when I said syncretist about the church, that taking on of the society's values that displaces Christ. I'm not saying that they, the church is completely embracing all the things society wants, but it embraces certain things from society, like individualism above community, things like that. Gosh, I think that we need to press into the, to the awkwardness. I think at the beginning of our discussion, one of the things that stood out to me when Steph was sharing about how we grew up and you were commenting on how it seems a bit different than others, I think one of the big things was our dad didn't teach us to pursue comfort, and that is a huge idol in America. And I think if the church wants to engage the LGBTQIA, yes, I'm using the long-form version, <laughs> that we need to press into the discomfort. Like, you you don't, if you're not same-sex attracted, you don't know what that's, you don't. So, don't pretend you do and bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. Talk to people in authority, also measure what they're saying against the word of God. See where they're just parroting what culture or certain easy answers are and see where they're actually going deep in the word of God and whether they really wrestle with it themselves or they're just giving an answer to help you feel secure again. I think we need to not try to just pursue security Jesus didn't die so you can have comfort and security. <laughs> he called there's us into, <laughs> huh? There's a soundbite. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So yeah, that's where, I guess where I'm going with this is just, uh, we're, there aren't going to be quick and easy answers. And if you're going to love your neighbor, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost yes. you that comfort. Thank and you. it's going to cost you the easy answers. Yep. And so, I would yeah. add to that refugees, immigrants, asylees, that's a big passion of uh, mine, social justice wise. <laughs> And that's a very much love your neighbor and it will cost you something. And you, you have to be willing to sacrifice your comfort and your security and your, even your own personal sense of spiritual security and how you think of God, you have to be willing to be yes. wrong and be willing that you might find out that you had everything wrong <laughs> or at least the majority of what you had wrong. So being in a lot learning posture, having curiosity, all yeah. of that, you have to just acknowledge that. And I think that is a, going back to the millennial thing, that is what we have not seen from our leaders. That's, that is where we have sorely wanted to see leaders who step up and say, you know what, we don't know. Let's pray about that. Or let's press into that. And let's be willing to be uncomfortable and awkward, like Katya was saying. So I just wanted to add that all that Katya said and more. That's really good. And and I know that's an issue that's important to you. I'm sorry we ran out of time to get into that. But I actually think we see that all through the Bible. We, we see 
Boaz being told, hey, you can't harvest the edge of your fields. That's got to be left for the foreigners and the widows. And uh, all the way up to Jesus saying, hey, you say the Samaritans corrupt your religion. I say it's not here or there, but that God loves all of you people a lot. And you're going to have to learn to live with the differences of your nationalities and your religions. And and there's a real tension there. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think tension is a word you guys are ta- speaking into here of being able to say, I know the Bible says this, like Peter, I know the Bible says not to eat these animals, but here's Jesus telling me to eat these animals. And yeah. so I'm going to have to figure out how to work that out. And that's yeah. going to take some work with Holy Spirit. I, I do want to finish with you guys just by saying, and I really appreciated uh, at the beginning, you saying you, you loved hearing some old guy like me talk to you guys about this stuff and listen. We didn't call you old. I, I'm calling me old. I just see, some, I, I actually see some of the things that boomers see as negatives in the millennial generation, I think are, are total gifts to the world from God. I, I think this, just all of this caring about people is something that's really important. And sometimes it gets walked out in aberrant ways. I get it. But I, you know, Joshua and Caleb were the two young guys who came back from spying the promised land and saying, let's go. And the old generation said, let's kill them for wanting to go. And, and I think had that generation listened to the young guys, they would have been able to secure their promise. And so out of all that sermon, I'm saying for you guys, I just affirm who you are. I love who you are. I love what you carry. And I think you carry something really important for the church. So I just stand as a previous generation and say, I applaud you and affirm you and be who you are and change the worlds with the gifts of what you carry. So thank you very much for letting me share that with you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for the opportunity to engage this way. Yes, I really enjoyed that. And I really just, I really appreciate you and people like you who are just doing this work. It's great. I it's hope very there's encouraging. More. I'm praying yeah. for more Pauls in the world. Come on. Me too. <laughs> me too. All right, guys. Awesome. Thank you for the chat. Like I said, I'm sorry we didn't get to everything we had, but that was really good stuff and and, uh, appreciate the time. Awesome. Thank you again.